If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. For me, one of the main ideas with all of this is to build a world that I would actually like to go to myself. And what I've done is structure the world so that literally the things that you pay attention to are the things that you learn more about. Imagine yourself immersed in the creepy, mist-shrouded world of a gothic novel. An ominous feeling hangs in the air. And you have to find out why and how you ever came to be here in the first place. That's exactly what Oscar-nominated visual effects supervisor and Blackthorn Media founder and president Michael Connolly would like to give you. In his latest interactive virtual reality experience, Caliban Below. If you are a total horror fan, you're in for a good scare, and it's going to be fun. And now, Caliban Below, which has been available as a free download on Steam, is also available for iPhone and iPad. Michael, the story of your VR experience, Caliban Below, actually begins in 1989 with a gothic novel that you wrote. That's correct. Could you tell me about this creative journey, please? Sure, yeah. Actually, the, the story of the Abbott's book on which Caliban Below is based actually came out of a, a gothic fiction class that I was taking in college. And I, had, I negotiated with the professor of that class to write a creative paper as a term paper. And I auditioned by giving him the first seven pages of the thing. And uh, he was a wonderful guy, incredible teacher with, you know, very, very storied history in his life. And uh, he read the first few pages and said, well, I want to see how it ends, so go ahead. And it all worked out beautifully, you know. And actually, I think it was, you know, of all the ways to demonstrate a love of the of the medium and the genre, you know, actually writing a story that, you know, tries to lean on classics like The Monk and The Mysteries of Udolfo and The Castle of Otranto and Edgar Allan Poe and, and all of those guys. It's about the best way I could think of to, you know, sort of plant the seeds of a new story. I love that. Edgar Allan Poe, if he were alive today, would love the spooky landscapes you've conjured up for Caliban Below. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, this is, you know, for me, most of all, is sort of a love letter to Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. As an author, it's got to be pretty easy to conjure up, not easy, but it's easier to conjure up worlds and to see them in your imagination than it is to translate them to VR. What were some of the challenges when you came to put the Abbott's book into VR? Huh. You know, the main contrast in the story is the world above ground set against the world below. And the world above ground is the, you know, the sort of Renaissance Italy era in this derelict estate. And, you know, to me, as the sort of starting point of the story, that that time period, again, you know, harkening back to classic Gothic fiction, felt like a really beautiful place to seat the story. It was also, you know, for me, one of the main ideas with all of this is to build a world that I would actually like to go to myself. And so, you know, Renaissance Italy in some, you know, somewhat derelict estate off in the mountains somewhere is about as appealing a place as I could imagine to say, you know, if you had access to this place, you would just want to go and explore it. And all of the cues of that from a design standpoint really, you know, are as rich as we all know, you know, beautiful architecture and gardens and statuary 
and a landscape that you know that kind of binds it all together. And so, from a design standpoint, the above ground stuff is kind of the easy stuff. Even though you know recreating that is it certainly takes work. The bigger challenge from a conceptual standpoint is what do the ruins of an ancient religion that's been buried for 700 years look like, and how do you how do you you know from the very beginnings of this story how do you translate that that notion of there's something dark and sinister and unknown underground and how do you build a world that is appealing and spooky and you know and and sort of visually implies the history of this much older and darker place and so there's much more kind of you know raw invention that went into the underground portion of this piece and a lot of experimentation with the sort of design language of the project and you know how shall you know there's there are architectural cues that owe much more of a debt to the gothic style of architecture than to you know anything that you might have found in you know in, in 900 or 1000 AD off in northern Italy so there's a little bit of of kind of pure you know fantasy but it really tries to borrow from things that we're all familiar with that feel old, but that also feel strange. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful to take ruins of old churches and then, you know, bury them in these underground caverns and imagine that some much older civilization might have been able to produce those and then that they now are lying in ruin hundreds of years later as this time capsule uh, this ancient religion sort of lies underground. Anyway, much more work to make this underground space and to make it in a way that feels, hopefully, you know, at least a little bit authentic to the larger story, but also you know, sort of strange and appealing. I almost expect to feel a chill. I almost expect to smell a musty scent and feel cobwebs when I see those broken steps when we go into the crypts. So it sounds like you've had a chance to take a look at the work. I have had a chance. I can't tell you that I've had a chance to experience it with my headset because I don't have an HTCV, but I have had a chance to look online at YouTube. I have had a chance to see what you're just like, oh, now I need an HTCV. <laughs> so it was great. Actually, we just released it on, on iOS not too long ago. So if you've got an iPad or an iPhone, you can literally you know walk around in that world now. It has to be you know, a reasonably recent piece of hardware. but And it's not as immersive as the VR, of course, but it's a pretty neat way to, to check the thing out. Let's step into this in our imagination. We have just strapped on the headset. We're going to experience Caliban below. What's going on around us? What are we doing? And how do we interact with the environment? At the beginning of the story, you are in a, a sort of misty, almost limbo. And it's a... It's a view of the family estate, the de Velasquez family, and it's a foggy, mist-shrouded day, almost, you know, wondering why the sun is so hidden behind thick clouds. It's sort of meant to imply this world that's a little bit, certainly a world that's haunted, but also, you know, a world that might have something supernatural going on. You're introduced to the story and this role that you're going to play in it. And you're given just a tiny little taste of who this family is and who you are in this family and why you're 
why you find yourself in this place that you find yourself. It's sort of an antechamber to the larger piece. You know, VR is funny in that there's no real established tropes for VR yet. And so, you know, if you're watching a movie, generally speaking, movies have this missing fourth wall and you're privy to a world that we sort of, you know, where we sort of accept that you're an unseen visitor in this place and somehow that's normal and, and okay. In VR, I feel like there's this moment of situating the audience in the experience, especially because people aren't doing that much simple narrative VR. They tend to, you know, there's, there's far more games than there are narrative experiences. And so I need to take a moment to tell the audience, you know, this is a story. And by the way, it's actually a short story. And you're going to play a character in this story and learn a little bit about this much larger project. So there's a little dash of exposition. And then, you know, as quickly as possible, we're teaching you how to, you know, move around in the space and to do this thing called blinking. This is, you know, teleporting from place to place and trying to make you as comfortable as possible as quickly as possible in the space that, you know, is built for storytelling. Your press release mentioned that this game is unique to each player. How have you done that so that if my husband and I are playing it, we're going to have two different experiences? So the the story, generally speaking, everybody has a unique view of the same story, if that's not a contradiction. What that means is that the main plot points everybody experiences, but the little details are unique to each viewer. And what I've done is structure the world so that literally the things that you pay attention to are the things that you learn more about. So if there's some piece of the world that you literally look at for a few seconds, then you'll hear some thought of Caliban to himself about, you know, what he thinks this detail might be or what he remembers about it. And likewise, you know, there are a couple of characters down in the catacombs with Caliban and they're, you know, doing some different things. And so one of them roams around and you might meet him in this place or that place, or in fact, you might not meet him at all, depending on what you're doing, although almost everybody does. And then likewise, you know, there's another ghost in the place who is fixated on a necklace. And if you happen to pick that necklace up and take it with you, then there's more to be done with that ghost elsewhere. In both cases, both of those characters are not critical to the main story point, but they, you know, they certainly are there to be interacted with as you please. And it's sort of a, it's sort of a, the recipe that's at work here, we hope, is something that will inform expansion of the project as we go. You know, we're trying to make a place that people go to and feel like they own and that the story is there on a sort of a la carte basis to be sampled as each person individually is interested to do so. So it's a very it's a very bespoke experience for everybody that goes through it. And no two people have exactly the same telling of the tale. What's been your favorite experience so far watching people experience Caliban Below? What's been your favorite reaction? Oh, gosh. You know, without a doubt, my favorite thing is watching people take the headset off at the very end, and they have a look in their eye. And, you know, generally speaking, I'd say generally speaking, people like the project. And then there's a pretty healthy 
percentage of people who are just kind of, you know, they you can tell they've seen something that they never thought they would see. You can tell you got them. You know, there's a, there's a real stinger at the end of the piece. And I think there's likewise a combination of sort of awe and uh, and spookiness and there's a tension in this this like am i brave enough to go into this place and now that i am doing so i'm learning about this world and now suddenly i have this surprise ending and so you know as it, generally speaking as people take the headset off you can really truly see in their eyes that they've seen something that they really thought was was neat and to me that's the you know we're we're giving this work away and so the only way i get paid is in that reaction, and it's far and away my favorite thing about doing that. Speaking of your giving this work away, where can people access Caliban Below? So Caliban Below is available as a free download on Steam, which is the main seat for VR on PC, but it's also available on Viveport, which is available with, you know, if you buy a Vive, you have access to Viveport. And now it's also available on Apple's App Store as something that runs on an iPhone or iPad. Michael, as the director of this, did you see Caliban Below take on a life of its own, do things that surprised you, or did it pretty much stay to what your original vision was? I think Caliban, you know, landed in my head as a very complete thought. It's a fairly, we're very careful to call it a short story for, you know, for a very good reason. It's not, you know, there's, there's a lot of detail there to be found, but it really is a short story. It's sort of a single, a single part of a much larger project. And so it's very true to the original vision. I guess what I would say is that the, the larger project of which Caliban is a part is a story called The Abbott's Book. And that larger project is certainly something that keeps surprising me in the ways in which the story is gradually sort of finding its way into the world. You know, so obviously what began as a term paper in a Gothic fiction class became a book, became another version of this story, which we took to Sundance a few years ago, became Taliban Below, and is, I think, you know, very, very gradually finding its way into some larger public awareness in a way that is really, you know, I wish, I wish it happened faster. This is a long time coming, but it really is a joy to see people liking the work and to see people sort of organically, you know, somebody you know, when we released Caliban to see a bunch of people chime in from the Abbott's book, the original Abbott's book release, saying, oh, this is so cool to have something new in this world, and when can we have more? That's really exciting and wonderful to see people starting to get this larger project and, and hope to see more of it in time. What's your answer to there? When can we have more? What's next after Caliban Below? Great question. I don't know. So Caliban is an interesting exercise in how much can, you know, a very small crew do. I've done most of the work on Caliban myself, obviously with, with quite a lot of help, mainly from Keith Goldfarb and Paula Fairfield. Keith is my partner in crime in Blackthorn on the bulk of the work of the project, and Paula does the sound effects for the piece, also the sound effects for Game of Thrones, I might add. And so it's done. The work is really done by a very small team, and the Abbott's book is a very, very big project. And so in order to really get the bulk of the Abbott's book out there, it's going to take things catching fire a little bit more. So, you know, it's, it'll take a bigger team, and that means more investment up front. To date, we've really been focusing on growing awareness for the medium. But 
you know, we need somebody with deep pockets to come along and say they are as excited about this as we are and want to help get a much bigger piece made. And I think it's the same kind of financing question that any, you know, that any filmmaker might face. You know, you've got a wonderful idea for a movie and you've got to convince a few people to help foot the bill. As passionate as you might be about it, you know, you can't make a feature film by yourself. So my tiny team and I would like to, to find the right financiers at this point. We never did say a word about the process of your making the VR of the Abbott's book, your first chapter, and then this. Over 30 years, you have this incredible book, and you want to make it virtual reality. What happens for you that you finally can? Well, I worked in the movie business for about 20 years in the middle there. And, you know, so I was doing visual effects and, you know, essentially moved to Hollywood and had a career doing computer graphics and visual effects on a lot of movies. And along the way, really picked up the, you know, honed a bunch of skills and, you know, built deep expertise in how CG works and met a bunch of great people. And it's, you know, almost all of the people that I've worked with at Blackthorn are folks who came out of the visual effects business and, you know, with a couple exceptions. But yeah, the, you know, it really has not been a straight path between writing the story and doing this work. And it's really been a joy to finally come back to it after spending so much time realizing visions for other people, you know, working on movies like Snow White and the Huntsman or Charlotte's Web or, you know, a number of other movies. I did want to emphasize that because you're making this look easy, and I know it has not been. I would imagine that things were pretty expensive when you first wrote the Abbott's book to even think about making virtual reality. Well, the technology to do virtual reality only barely existed in a very crude form at the time. And what I was hoping for was some way to make, let's say, an interactive version of the story. When I first wrote the Abbott's book, it wasn't, it was a couple of years later that a project called MIST came out, M-Y-S-T. And that was a, a project that shipped on CD-ROM, and it was just a point-and-click adventure, you know, a bunch of, essentially a bunch of largely still images on your computer screen with a little bit of sound effects. But it was a world that you could walk into, you know, I mean, as much in your mind as on the computer screen. And at the time, you know, I've been a, I've had a computer bug in my head my whole life. And at the time that I was writing Abbott's book to see Mist out there and then to meet the two brothers who started that company and then to, you know, take a good look at, at all the tricks that they used to make it, you know, that was really electrifying. I think that's when I really got the bug and said, boy, if these guys can do it, I can do it. And I think that is what precipitated my main interest in computer graphics and precipitated the, the steps that I would take to eventually get the job in the visual effects business. So, yeah, you know, at the time that I was writing the story, I think there was a lot about it that felt, you know, approachable in the abstract, but I didn't really have a great sense of all the bits and pieces that would be required to make a finished product until I, you know, made a bunch of finished products in the movie business. And, you know, many years later, you know, now I finally have a pretty solid grasp of, yeah, oh boy, you're going to need this many people, you're going to need this many, you know, this many man weeks, you're going to need this kind of budget, you're going to need these sound effects, you're going to need, you know, all of these things in order to make a finished piece. So it's, it's really been a long road to arrive at some level of comfort with 
how to get all this stuff made. When you guide fellow creatives who want to create experiences like what you're doing, what are some of your favorite resources to recommend? Well, it depends on the piece. There's a lot of work out there that's being done that's filmed. And, you know, we're, while we've got plenty of experience with, you know, with movie cameras and filmed work in 3D, the bulk of what we do, of course, is what you would call six degrees of freedom. And that is, you know, unlike filmed work, is really making models from scratch and texturing them and putting rigs on them and animating them. And it's all the, the same kinds of expertise that go into the visual effects business or the game business. And so for people who want to get into VR, if somebody's got a, a background in the visual effects business, for instance, and they say, we want to do what you're doing, Mike, you know, I would say, okay, good. Well, it's a lot like the visual effects business, but you need it to run at 90 frames a second. And, you know, there's going to be a whole mess of things that you have to change from the way that you're working or used to working in order to get it to run at 90 frames a second. If you're in the game business, you can kind of just get right to work. If you have experience in neither movies nor video games, well, then you've got a lot of work to do. And, but happily, these paths are well-trod and you can direct people with literally no experience to any number of schools or online courses. And, you know, the range of things that need to happen in order for imagery to come to life in VR is vast and complex. And so there's no real simple answer to your question. But, you know, if you've got much of a background in it all, a lot of it is really, you know, stuff that's off-the-shelf software at this point, Maya, Nuke, Photoshop, and then some modest amount of programming as well. What do you consider one of the best creative lessons you've learned as a professional who's been in the business for a while in translating the Abbott's book and now Caliban Below to XR? Well, I would say, you know, I think the, I would say it's probably, you know, keeping both eyes open when you're looking at a new medium and, you know, what is the market opportunity of, of a new medium? Now, new media don't come around every day. But, you know, I think when we got really excited about VR, you know, we, like a lot of people, felt like, oh, well, this is, this is going to, you know, be the next big thing and it's going to happen, you know, in a few years. It may yet happen, but it hasn't happened yet. We've been doing this for five and a half years and VR has not yet set the world on fire. Now, that said, you can do things in VR that you can't do in any other media. And so it remains very, very exciting. It remains, you know, I think something that, you know, most of the world knows what VR is and hasn't tried it yet. And so I would say if I had to caution myself, you know, if I could reach back in time five years and say, you know, here's the main lesson. The main lesson is do it because you love it, not because you think there's a huge market opportunity right around the corner. Happily, we, you know, have loved this the whole time and continue to do so. And so, you know, the fact that we are giving the work away because we want to raise awareness for the medium is okay. That's a fine place to be. But I think it's also something that I might have found a bit surprising if you had told me five years ago. I usually ask at the very end of each interview, if someone could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away? I don't know how in the world you're going to top do it because you love it, but I'm still going to ask you that. No, that's it. That's, you know, do it because you love it. I've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of students over the years, for instance. And, 
you know, back in the visual effects days. And they were, you know, very aspirational career and people love movies and they want to get into the movie business and they say, you know, how do I crack this nut? What exactly do I have to do? And I say, you know, make sure that you're finding a way to do what you love. That's the best advice I could give students. It's the best advice I could give myself, you know. And I think this project, Caliban Below, really hits that mark. Boy, do I... I'm thrilled to have gotten it made. It is incredibly true to the original sort of stroke of imagination on the project. And I'm just incredibly happy that this small piece of work is a very true reflection of that original creative impulse. And that I love very dearly. Michael, thank you for your time today. You bet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. You and I have been listening to Michael Conley founder, president, and creative director of Blackthorn Media. Michael is the author of The Abbott's Book, A Gothic Tale, and the creator of the VR experience Caliban Below, which is a short story excerpt from The Abbott's Book. Caliban Below is available as a free download on the Steam website, which is steampower.com. That's steampower.com. And now, as Michael mentioned, there's also a free version for iPhone and iPad available in the App Store. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.